I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So we are in Las Vegas. Nevada. Nevada. Surrounded by... How many guns do you think are in... A 40-foot radius of us right So, now. we probably have about 100 pieces in here easily. Okay. Easily. Uh, optics, probably another 200 pieces. We're surrounded by a lot of safety. <laughs> <laughs> because there are safes in here. And, and, and shout out to Galotech for all the cabinets and storage that we have here. So This is a Galotech? Yeah, cabinet. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's super fun. They make a great product. Uh, you know, they managed to combine the, the ease of use with, you know, storage capacity, which, you know, buying a big clunky safe sometimes sure, is, sure. is a lot. So this is, a, I wouldn't, but this isn't a safe though. Of course it is. It's got like a little door handle like this that you could just break open quick, quick. You think so? I, th- I would think so. Well, I think by the time you break it open, the cameras would pick you up and then oh, right, the, right, yeah, right. motion detector might go off. Right. So, you know, there's that barrier. John Bartolo? Mm-hmm. Welcome. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on. And, and it's, you know, when people ask me to do their podcast, I don't typically jump, but it was, it was you and, and I, I oh, love what you're doing that. and I appreciate everything that you've built. So I'm honored to be on and I appreciate you having me as a guest. For those that don't know who John, Bar- John Bartolo is, you want a quick introduction? So, you know, I started, it's, it's interesting. I've told this story a couple of times and I started in the firearms business right after I got out of the police academy. I had uh, quite a few, you know, friends that, that 
you know, worked in the business. And as I kind of was moseying out there and posting a picture here and there, they said, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing demos? And I had no idea what a demo was. And brands like Enforce Weapon Lights and brands like Breakthrough Clean down in, in Florida and everything else would have me go around. And it was really kind of a, a combination of the perfect timing, right, as mm-hmm. Facebook came in and Instagram. But I had also had this this formal background where I could go around and, and go to ranges. And I knew enough to be dangerous, you know, because I was just starting out. I was it was young, you know, and as time went on, I developed a lot of really cool relationships with really cool people. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say the the people around me became somebody's. And, sure. you know, you just kind of sit on the shoulders of giants. Right. So I was doing these demos and I was traveling around and slowly but surely marketing at the manufacturer level became a thing. And I'm sure you remember that time. It really wasn't a thing. You really just had you know, ad buyers, you know, people that would buy ad space, you know, that worked at, you know, Smith & Wesson or Glock or SIG through the years. Okay. They hadn't really fleshed out their marketing departments the way that they are now because now we have access to more. Don't forget, Facebook only came in strong in 2004, 2005. Right. Instagram followed after. So then people actually had to put enormous amounts of content out that they weren't used to. Mm-hmm. So as this was happening, excuse me, as this was happening, you know, I had multiple brands reach out to me about becoming a marketing director and becoming involved. And I was fortunate through the years, and I'm taking 10 years and condensing it for the sake of the show. You know, I was able to forge these relationships and I had built a consulting company that had managed, you know, uh, 12 or 15 of the brands out there, mm. their marketing. And, you know, I was a marketing director and title, you know, for four or five different brands in all di- across all different, you know, spaces from as, as much as I hate to say Ghost Gunner in some respects, all the way up to, you know, brands that were very well known. And, and I was fortunate to work with a lot of them. I had grown up going to SIG and training there. I, I had been through a lot of great training courses and had the experience of going down to Miami and meeting the Tony Sentmanots before they were really big on the scene and JJ Rakazas and Max Michels as Max was just getting into professional shooting. So I like to always say, you know, my friends became somebody's and I was able to tag along yeah, yeah. in that journey. Then I got the call to be a CEO and I was fortunate enough to to be a CEO of a firearms company and barrel company through the years and then ended up in Las Vegas when I got the opportunity to go work for an AK manufacturer. And they were just kind of building out what their media department would look like. Mm-hmm. And that was a fun journey. You and that's know. where the podcast started. That's well. That's the genesis of it. So I had mm. started it kind of, you know, in the in the kitchen. I have the in the kitchen story, and then as it evolved, I had the opportunity to take it to a studio, and they were like, "What do you need?" You know, and I'll be eternally grateful to them for that. You know, what what do you need? How can we make this work? And they were like, "We got a studio." So I was like, "Oh, okay." You know, I can do my show unfeathered, and as I was I was able to flesh out what I thought the show would be yeah, as time yeah, went yeah. on. Which took, which took time, and there was a lot of learning along the way, Robbie, and people don't realize that, that, you know, that journey of, of working for those brands and seeing the infant that was social media mm-hmm. uh, start to become this colossal thing causing an effect in the industry, uh, it was really fortunate, and I came of age at a time when, you know, I think the marketing landscape was going through a very deep shift, and I right. think it's continuing to yeah, do yeah. that. So today, full-time podcast host plus a little bit of consulting on the side, the yeah. John Bartolo Show. That's it. You know, I, I made the determination that I would I would put a lot of my energy into the show because for me, similar to I think what you go through with Blood Origins, it's about a mission for me. And, and, and I wanted to put people in front of guns. 
that maybe you know we're sheepish about coming out that the show i always try to convince owners it doesn't need to be qvc it doesn't need to be just about your product we can put good entertainment out there people things that people want to tune into and participate in but we don't have to be invasive about it Hmm. it doesn't have to be well robbie would you go shoot today or when are you shooting next or whatever i just wanted to have people on that just wanted to shoot the shit Mm -hmm. and you know to me you look at the friends model of programming it's a show about nothing. And essentially, that's what I wanted to have was a show that was just an off-the-cuff conversation, get to know, you know, John Bartolo or Robbie Kroger oh, yeah, and, yeah. and enjoy that experience throughout the podcast. And obviously, these people coming on are pro-Second Amendment. Obviously, they support. But Have you, know, you ever considered bringing someone on that is anti-Second Amendment? 100%. I ask all the time. These, nobody says yes? Nobody says yes. You know, at least they haven't yet. Yeah. Um, and, and no one said no either, you know, for the most part, but I do throw a big net out there. It's not, you know, uh, ever a, a no. I've never said, right. you know, it's more, more logistics or working it out. But I was fortunate that the show really hit its stride here in Vegas. And if you had asked me five years ago that I'd be hosting a podcast, I'd have told you you were crazy, <laughs> you know, but the consulting keeps me busy too. And plus, you know, based on how I've been able to build this model, I wouldn't have been a successful marketing director if it wasn't successful in my incarnation. I believe that. I believe you're not a surgeon till you got to cut a body open. Right. You're not a fighter till you get in a fight, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, there's a lot of so-called marketing directors. That's why I get so passionate about the marketing and branding. Uh, but they've never tested their own theories or built their own entities outside. So uh, that's something that I, you know, our podcast is almost a hard hitting, which I think you'll enjoy hard-hitting, almost pokey, truth-setting type podcast. Short, sharp, to the point. You're a hunter. Mm-hmm. Been a hunter. You were late, based on what I heard earlier, late adult onset hunter? Uh, I really? would say 22, 23 yeah, years old. Yeah. Yeah. I came down to when I was 26. Mm-hmm. So didn't grow up. What I'm saying, you didn't grow up as a hunter. You didn't have a dad who took you hunting. Correct. That kind of stuff. Still hunts today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Based on your marketing background, do we have a problem in the hunting community based on how we are marketing ourselves? Yes. What is that problem? The biggest problem, I would say, that faces the two-way community is, one, the unification under the common ideal is number one. Okay. Now, now what I mean no, by you that- You said two-way community. You didn't say hunting community. Well, it's a bigger problem. And I think if we all realize that if we work together, that would be the first step. So, again, this is looking at the problem, Robbie, from a thousand feet. And then, like I said, if you want to come down and look at it at a micro level, I think the hunting community can benefit a lot from listening to a lot of the better hunters and the people that truly do represent the community in the best way to put that foot forward. Uh, I think glamorizing or anointing, as I said before, quote-unquote false gods or people that represent themselves of, as hunters for their own profit or their own profiteering and aren't necessarily enabling the cause or the forward movement of the cause of trying to bring more awareness to public land and conservation, I think is part of the problem. So, you know, when, when we're, you're trying to build out the marketing that is the hunting community, you have to look at the forerunners, the SEIs of the world, okay, the, the, the ones that are out in front. They need to create a panel of, of folks, and they need to listen to that panel. 
and I'm a big believer in, in what would that panel look like to me mm-hmm. uh, it would have uh, maybe a, a, a subgroup of nonprofits a subgroup of tri- true traditional hunters legitimized by the community but also recognized by the community as leaders in their forefront almost like a board of governors okay to me let's say it's 12 members you represent all the areas of your community as best possible Maybe one of them is your outfitters, right? That's a great segment to represent. Mm -hmm. They're affected by it financially. Mm -hmm. And somebody like Laird or somebody at the Laird level needs to sit down and needs to listen to them and needs to have them be heard. And that's the stuff that we wish Which would shape direction. Which would shape direction. And that advisory panel should be sat in on by the marketing directors over there. And what they should do is they should have a notepad out. And it should be, hey, guys, you know, I want to bring up this topic or what topics are you interested in and that board of governors should be able to operate you know and bring up anything you know to discuss in the community to move it forward so i i think both industries would benefit greatly from that you know i've said for a long time i'd love to see a panel of ffls represented at ns shot show for intents and purposes yeah, but, yeah. uh you know nra shows you know there should be those conversations that type of dialogue and however you determine the factor to get the people at the table i think that's less important how do you separate you specifically use the word legitimate. Mm-hmm. How do you separate in the social media world the people that are doing it for the right reasons and those that are not? Well, I think that's always left up to the end, you know, clicker, right? The person that clicks like or the person that clicks uh, follow. And what I say to a lot of people is when somebody posts a picture that they're running in the rain, but they're not doing it for just the gram. They're doing it because, you know, no one else is, right? Because they're so badass and their dick's so big. I think what you have to do is you have to see through that. As you think a, that social media today is starting to become wiser? Yes. To what that is? Yes, I do. But I also think some of those people that manage to bring their way into the community and use the community as a platform. Because let's face it, guys, I'll say it. There are war profiteers out there. There are hunting industry profiteers where in our industry we look at them and we're like that's an actor that mm. they're acting mm. you know yeah there's there's some athleticism and there's some fortitude in what they're doing but you know i know about some of the things that go on in the hunting community i know that people sit back and they look and they say he's going on guided hunts they're not real hunts he's not you know but, but I, hold, on, hold on hold on so what Right. No. And there is the camp that says, so what? And they wouldn't be wrong. Because he's still hunting. Because he's still hunting and he's still supporting he just the happens community. To, he just happens to get a guided hunt. That just speaks to the power structure of the hunting community. And like you said, some of the people that are, um, how do you legitimize it? The answer is, at the end, it's always going to be with the end user. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that then. Who's giving power to that end user, the clicks, the likes, the follows? The well, consu- who's, who's well put, we, who's, you who's, hope, as a brand, you always hope it's the consumer, right? Well, no, I'm, maybe I framed the question wrong because I'm clearly not a marketing guy. <laughs> who's worried about that? I would, say, I would think that your answer would be the marketing guys is that's all they're looking at. <clears throat> Which, isn't that the problem then? Yes. You can put some of the onus on the marketing guys that that's all they're looking at. I would say at the same time, but that's I, I, business as well. And I, I, sorry to cut you off, but no, you're right. In my brain, I'm just like, but if I'm in the business, and again, I'm not in the marketing, I'm not in the hunting business. And that's itself. one of the things that's killing bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, I was going to say, is the easiest to draw that parallel, where people can win the Mr. Olympia contest, but not even have a fitness deal. 
Correct. You see what I mean? So is that right? Is that wrong? Because what's happened is there's some little Instagrammer girl that has 5 million followers and she gets more fitness hits than that's Mr. Right. Olympia. But, but that's, is that wrong? Because at the end of the day, it's, it, at the end of the day, you've got two dichotomies that you've got to work with. You've got to work with this idea that it is a business and I need to sell a product because I have to make a profit because that's what business mm-hmm. is, okay? And if that, let's use that bodybuilding supplement example, that girl sells a thousand times units, whatever, yeah. units than if I invested in the guy who just won Mr. Olympia. That's a business decision that you cannot fault. On the other side of that dichotomy, though, is are you doing it for the right reasons? Is there a, a slant to the marketing guys, a slant to the company that says, I know I, need to make, I know I need to make profit. I have to make profit. That's the point of business. But at the same time, there's always going to be that back and forth between being idealistic in any profession, right? Is, am I more idealistic if I skin my animals in the ancient way of doing it with a stone or so you know what i mean mm-hmm. so so there's always going to be in marketing too that idealistic play like you said i'll say it you know because i've talked about it with him somebody like a brendan burns at kuyu he's a great person to work if he was just a hunter and nobody had known him and he had 300 followers like you said is he more legit than any other guy and i'm being idealistic by sponsoring him or working with him and supporting him You'd say yes, right? But the idea being is the if same, I'm, you, yes, go. Sorry. No, if I'm going to present him to a company or a brand, I'm going to say this is going to be the most legit guy on your roster based on the fact that I know because I've gone out and tasted it, how he hunts, the approach, the process, everything, and I know the type of person he is. But as a marketing director, you get like one or two plays to do that without being able to produce numbers. Right. And at the end of the day, sometimes it's about numbers. It's about clicks. That's right. Jeff Bezos, and I know this is a terrible example to the listenership because he represents the epitome of capitalism, but Bezos literally just is interested in your clicks. He doesn't care what you look like, what your politics are. I just want your clicks. Mm -hmm. And Amazon pays based on those clicks. Mm -hmm. So there's also... That component of we need to reward what waters the grass and what pays the bills in here, maybe to fund our idealistic dreams on the other side. Mm, I and, like that. And, and that sometimes is what it is. You know, Sometimes you can't be the pillar in the community that you want to be till you make a million bucks. And that's where the right. ethics of how you make the million dollars start right. to come into play. Well, that makes complete sense, right? It's the idealistic do the right thing. But I can only be that idealistic once I'm, I've grown right. myself enough that I've got a, a, an income that I can potentially, you know. And I've been vocal about it. In our industry, we have the Colleone Noirs and the Dana Lashes. Mm-hmm. And, and they're out there selling books and mugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't pigeonhole you by bringing this stuff up on my show, but on yours, I'll say it. You know what I mean? And they're out there pushing mugs and pushing hats and pushing shirts. You know, they would argue back that they're helping the Second Amendment by being a voice. Mm-hmm. I'd argue they have a good publicist. Mm-hmm. But th- you don't think they have a good voice? At the no, same time? because I don't think that they've ever truly understood the mechanics of the gun industry and who's truly affected by it. Mm. And at the end of the day, what I see when I look at the gun industry is I see thousands of FFLs, mom and pop shops, companies and brands that have been in uh, family, 
you know, inside of families for hundreds of years. And I see FFLs that, you know, they're just getting by on making a few bucks in their family-run businesses. And I love those businesses, and I love those people behind those FFLs because they're the ones that taught me the firearms industry, and they're great folks. And you can learn a lot from them. And without them, the RSRs of the world can't distribute their product. The Remingtons of the world can't distribute their product. You're right. And at the end of the day, I see that, and I think that should be represented in the dialogue, and I never hear it talked about. Yeah, it's amazing. You, it, there is that uncanny parallel. It all leads back to how do I sell a T-shirt? How do I sell a mug? Mm. How do I sell a this? To me, I, I, I think if you're truly going to represent a community, you know, I've had multiple, multi, I've had more black shooters on my show than any other show out there. Why doesn't Colleen Noir prop up that community? Mm. Why? Yeah. He yep. also did a piece on hunting where he tried to blame the ammo shortage on hunters. He <laughs> walked into Nosler, uh, walked around with the CEO, hmm. and this is what I talk about, false gods, right? False representatives of a community. If people didn't know any better, people would think he represents the gun community. And the CEO of Nosler said, we also have, you know, X amount of new hunters in the community. You and I both know the onboarding process of becoming a hunter. And not only that, in, in most hunting places you're going to go, in the United States, it's five-round capacity to begin with. Mm-hmm. But you have the balls to sit there and say, it's the hunters. Yeah. You know? And I'm oversimplifying what he said, but go back and look at the edit. I'm sure you remember the piece. Mm-hmm. You know? And shame on the Nosler CEO for, for being so cavalier to say, oh, yeah, it's all these new hunters. That's causing the shortage. No, you should love that. Mm-hmm. Who should we, in the hunting community, what's the parallel to the FFLs? Is it the the Joe Blow down the street? No, I think it's your outfitters. I okay. think a lot of it's your outfitters. Yep. I think that's the lifeblood of your community, and I think it's underserviced mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, they get viewed as profiteers, right, in many ways. But I think the outfitters are your gateway. They need to make it easy, mm-hmm. you know? Hey, I'm taking five buddies out, or I want to put this together. But I think your outfitters tre- play a tremendous role. Yeah, they got smashed in COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still Canada. Obviously, Canada's opening in two days yeah. to vaccinated Americans and hopefully they just flood north. Anybody that is vaccinated that wants to hunt Canada, go now. Go. Go hunt. Mm-hmm. Support those outfitters. You know, New Zealand, they're going to have, this is the second season they're dead. They're going to have a third next year, I can guarantee it. Um, yeah, it's the terrible. New Zealand boys are, are getting and the, hammered. And, and I think the outfitters are the lifeblood of your community. Mm-hmm. And if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear it from your listeners, but I think that mm-hmm. they, need, they need your support. And they need your help. And without the outfitters constantly getting a pipeline of folks together and showing them how, you know, how to get into the sport or get into the uh, activity of hunting. But it's interesting you say that because earlier you were, not that you, you said it any, in any negative fashion, but there's this perceived perception, and, you, and that's why you said it, of this guided hunt versus the public hunt. That is the, that there's this thing out well, there right I, I now think that when you're you, doing it publicly right. is so think, much better than a guided hunt. I think hunt. when you get into the inner sanctum of the politics of whatever genre, hunting will be one we'll pick on for the conversation. And I think that um, there's that dick measuring contest of like, did you go out and no map? No, like you're more manly. You know what I mean? If it's it, it if if it's like with nothing, I went out with a fucking stick, and I hunted it. And I think I'm not wrong in saying that. I think you would agree. I think we know that. And, and there are people within the industry that give off 
the perception that they're on these backcountry hunts and they've been out there for nine days and they track the animal just by scent and you know <laughs> and I think that everybody likes to say the fish is this much bigger right you know but how do you whittle it down and I think in the hunting community what you'll always have is when people say who's the best hunter you're going to have the list everybody knows about and the list nobody else does right and I think that's always going to exist in the hunting community mm-hmm. and it's the same in the second amendment community who's the most tactical right Mm. who's the first guy you'd pick in a zombie invasion mm. you know and there's always that dick measuring contest i think it's dumb and i know that you do too but it still goes on mm. and it still happens do you think i don't know if this happens in the 2a community i know it happens in the hunting community do you think we have incredible hunters that have incredible ethics that have incredible uh, value to what they do, why they do it. They've thought through the process, both male and female. Yet you never hear about them. They're not on social media. And is it is is? I almost think like if we had those voices. Yes, hunting's a little bit in the dark in getting those voices to the forefront. Do you have those voices in the two A community? Yes, the unknowns, the yes. guys that just are, but are willing but, to stand but, but, up. But, you have guys like Chad Lyman over here, right? C four C. And Chad, you know, I, I know he's the type of guy who'd listen to this. You have guys like him that are starting to get it. And Chad's, you know, older. He's not a guy you would ever expect on social media. But he's understanding the importance of it, the value of it. And some of them just need that push. But there is a huge concentration of, I would say, underheard masses, you know. And I think part of that is because they, they always viewed building the platform as dumb or it would never catch on or whatever. And if they're listening to this, I hope that they are. I know that they're... Is there no, there's no infighting in the 2A community that would be belittling to... You're looking at me like, oh, that's the dumbest question you've ever mm-hmm. asked me, Robbie. That, so that's why I say in the hunting community, those stronger voices, those voices actually don't want to be heard. Yeah. Because they're, they're like, why would I put myself out there just to be cut down? And that's, and that's the risk, right? Like, you have to accept that for some people. Some people, most people are just gun collectors. Oh, yeah. They don't actually go out and train and shoot. And I'm not judging. And some people like to just go hunting. And some people just like to go hunting. Like, it's a side thing for them. And a lot of, a lot of people that's, I call them amateur pro fishermen. We're getting into the outdoors genre. You know, they just like to put the fishing shirt on, throw the rod. And on Tuesday, they go back to being Joe Banker or whatever mm-hmm. they are. And that's fine. The community needs those people. They're like the casual fan. Uh, the fact that they don't want to put themselves out there or, or, or speak up or be heard or build a platform, whatever that looks like, I think that's, that's their decision to make. You know? And at the end of the day, this industry is going through a, a situation where the cream of spokespeople is starting to rise to the top in every industry. And I think people jockey for that position and some people just don't even want to get in the fight. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and sometimes those are the strongest voices. You know, the black belt in jiu-jitsu is probably sometimes the last guy to jump in the fight. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, but those voices can be heard, whether it's through the voting process or speaking up or being pulled in, maybe recognized through the years for their, their, contrib- you know, their contribution to the hunting community if they're known. And I think they still can be heard through some things, exercises like creating a panel or creating a board, yeah, yeah, yeah. A board of governors. Because you would step up and say, you know, we really got to look at this guy. Right. You know. But. The fact that they don't want to hear, be heard, that's, that's a decision they make, and, and you have to respect it. We speak up, and we have these platforms, because I feel that the, the, 
the industry wants it, and I feel like that they want to support it. Otherwise, you would have zero listeners. Right. Right? So I think that they need to be heard. I wanted a podcast because I felt like there wasn't a place where people could just come on and talk about what they wanted to talk about, but in the common interest of being more capable and more prepared and, and things like that. And they could talk about their journey, whether they came from fitness, hunting, firearms, any genre. Because I do think inherently at the root of it all, human beings want to be more capable. Mm. And that's what I feel is important and what drives them into these different things is the desire to be more capable. You know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about wanting to be more capable vegan. <laughs> you know, they want to be more <laughs> capable humans. Right. And whatever that looks like. Sure. And there's always going to be a burning desire in the human being to be more capable. That's why we get out of bed every day. That's why we're not born and we don't commit suicide immediately. I know that's an oversimplified way of looking at it, but there's a, we have a desire to crawl. We have a desire to walk. We have a desire to run. Mm. And I think we're marching towards a, a bigger conversation in society. So why have we lost the desire to hunt? Well, I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the, the pussification of the universe, right? Like there's a movement to over-sanitize everything like you talked about earlier. We don't want to question where the hamburger comes from. We just want to throw it on the grill. Yeah. And I think there's an oversimplification to society right now. And I think people need to snap out of it. It's a little bit like they live. Like, put the glasses on and see that, you know, of course there's fake news. Of course media wants to dictate the direction they want you to go in. Of course they want to make uh, everybody get vaccinated. Why? Follow the money. See who wins. You know, and, and, and I'm not saying any of those conspiracy theories. I'm not legitimizing any of them. I'm not <laughs> saying any of them are, are real. But I think that there's that push to over-sanitize everything. You know? And there's always been that. And I, I don't like to call it whitewashing or anything like that. But I think that there's an inherent desire in society to say, it's real simple. Order it on Amazon. Right. You'll have it in two days. Yeah pretty convenient where to come from who made it and the same people that are anti-hunters will support sweatshop sneakers you know yeah. and it's just it, it, there's we'll go out for the ribeye it's all night. in how it's marketed right you know i only go to texas roadhouse for the rolls you know <laughs> i mean come on it all plays yeah you know and that's where i think the hunting industry gets itself into trouble with its marketing if the left is going to oversimplify the whole thing why doesn't the right oversimplify it? You eat meat, support hunting. Exactly. That's, to me, it's real simple. Pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And then we can get into the ethics and everything else and, and how you want to approach that. Maybe you don't want to go out and hunt and you know, go through that whole process of harvesting it yourself. That's okay. But don't kid yourself when you go to the grocery store. Yeah. Don't be against us or those that decide to do it for themselves. 100%. Now, it's an interesting, you know, we use this idea, and, I, and I'm surprised it didn't come up earlier, you know, from a hunting perspective, the meat that you garner, when you actually break it down to the cost per ounce, it's probably the most expensive meat out there. The, the cost of the gun, the optics, the ammo. Oh, it's a way cheaper way to go. You know, 100%. Yeah. It, but, but you actually give that meat away. Like, hey, I've got some, I've got some fillet, I've got some backstrap, right? I've got this hawk. Do you want it? I'll give it away. When did you ever hear, her, here, here, someone go to the grocery store and buy 20 ribeyes, which is far cheaper than that deal, mm -hmm. and come home and start texting folks saying, hey, I got some ribeyes, you want them? I'll give them to you. And, and it's real convenient, Robbie, to, and to your listeners out there, 
to find ethics when it's convenient to find ethics. Like I worked for weapons manufacturers for years. I worked for companies that manufacture components of the AIM-9X and Tomahawk missile. I worked for, so, you know, it could be very easy to, to say, you know, I've, I've killed all these people. I'm a mass murderer or whatever because I was the CEO of a firearms company. And that's part of the reason why some CEOs of firearms companies don't want to come out and talk and don't want to speak. And because of the perception of what they might be perceived as. But at some point, you have to realize that's American manufacturing. Somebody purchased that to purchase to, to maybe forward your freedom, to continue the lifestyle to which you manage, and so on and so forth. And it's the same thing in hunting. We just don't do a great job of oversimplifying our approach to how we present the hunting community. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. You know? No, 100%, man. I think what, you know, the, the, the system that you live in, the 2A system, has so many parallels to what we are facing absolutely in hunting and our hunting community if you had a wand you've already talked about the panel i I really like that idea of the panel if you had a wand as a hunter what could what is that wand do in the next five to ten years i would say i would my first swipe of the wand i would want hunters to realize that they're in the two-way battle with us and stop looking them at themselves as a separate segment of the of the marketplace mm-hmm. because they're not okay and understand this and I don't talk about this enough and maybe that's part of the problem they're not coming for just our guns on the tactical side they're coming for everybody's and they want to limit and restrict and sooner or later they will get and this is the elephant in the room they will get to your five rounds they will get to your capacity and they will get so we can dance behind using the AR as a hunting rifle or all the other bullshit that goes on but the reality is they're not going to stop coming and mm-hmm. face that fact now. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, I would love to see the hunting community embrace the idea of where our media is going and create palatable experiences, make it easier to onboard hunters and, and people that want to participate in the sport of hunting. And I don't know exactly what that process looks like, but it has to be better than what you have now. And maybe that's a challenge posed to Laird and, and SCI. Maybe that's a challenge posed to somebody out there to create a system that makes it a lot easier. How do I go from sitting right here to a guy, you know, maybe a guided hunt or, or, or connect with a guide that can facilitate that? How does that process look? And I think they need to realize that these trade shows, the days of just selling a booth and making money off a trade show space, it's, it's, those days are over, man. Those are carnivals. Mm. And carnivals die. And that's just the real reality because you know, we saw the arcade system die down. Why? The video games got better at home. Mm. Arcades don't work anymore. You know what I mean? We have to realize that some things just are not going to work anymore. And we have to move past them. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for those, things, those two things to happen. Selfishly, uh, you know, I think creating more and more sanctuary states is a good thing. I think the hunting industry could take a page from the 2A community and create sanctuary hunting states. And 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 th- this is a state that's gonna whatever that means, right? Oh, well, there 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 has been a couple of states that have put into legislation. I think Utah was the last one that did it. Mm-hmm. That is the right to hunt mm-hmm. being put in the constitution. That we have to have it mm-hmm. in this state in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that would solidify it at a state level. And I'd love to see that. I think from a legislative perspective. So yep. you know, I can only offer an example from you know a a overall perspective, a, a legislative perspective, and and hopefully a marketing perspective. But I think, sure. 
I think hunters would greatly benefit from the fact that they need to realize that we're all in this together. Yep. Well said. Well said. Thank you, John. Well, I love it. You're I the appreciate man. you having me. I yes, really sir. mean it. No, I look forward to it. We'll do it again, right? Amen. Anytime. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.